This week's episode is brought to you by the Year of a Million or So Limited Time Cadets. Send an email to communicorweekly at gmail.com with your name, address, and birthday so you too can be part of the celebration. Hello and welcome to Community Core Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And I'm also tired of... In general? Oh, are we doing that back and forth? We each say one word? Oh, do you want to do, you want to do that? To like, a, what we do a story? We do the whole episode that way. That'd be confusing. Let's just that try with, with one thing very... right now. All right, I'll start. Are you ready? The... Yes. The blue... Dog... Went... To see a doctor because she wanted to check on her measles. Boom. Nailed it. And, and we made I it Disney related because I there's measles in Disneyland. Disney. Oh, yeah. Man, that was the weirdest one ever. That's okay. We, I don't we even know how we got on that topic. I don't either because I think you, you said you're so tired and I said of. It works it's out like well. everything we do that's so brilliant, it just happens. That's right, guys. We're nothing like tooting our own horn. That's what we do here on Commuter Crew Weekly. Tooting our own horn since 2012. <laughs> on that note, maybe we should get into the history segment. It's time for Disney History! When planning Disneyland, Walt always wanted various forms of transportation on display. Not only as a way to move people, but also to add life and energy and movement to an area. Now, Main Street had the omnibuses and the, the jitneys. Uh, Adventureland had the Jungle Cruise boats. Fantasyland has the, had the Skyway, uh, Casey Jr. and the Canal boats. Uh, Frontierland had the Keelboats, the Stagecoach, and the Pack Mules. Uh, Tomorrowland had the Autopia and the Tomorrowland boats, which were uh, later renamed the Phantom boats. And, you know, the additions of the Submarine Voyage and the Matterhorn and the Monorail signaled a change in 1959 and led to the Tomorrowland on the move of 1967. Yeah, so of course, almost every plan of Disneyland, even the Mickey Mouse Park, that was planned for Burbank, had a steam train encircling it. And it's obvious that transportation was important to Walt, not only for nostalgic purposes, but also for showing off future technologies. And with the opening of Walt Disney World, the amount of transportation options would increase dramatically and include a larger monorail loop, lots of side wheelers, which we've talked about before, steamboats, and lots of personal water recreational craft. Like bob arounds? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of hard to deny that the 1964-65 New York World's Fair had a tremendous effect on Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Because not only do we see the advancement of, of audio animatronics, but we get the small world boats and the people mover system out of it. So not only does Disneyland have a monorail, but they get a brand new people mover system as well. Transportation was integral to Walt's early discussions of Epcot Center and Disney World. Most day visitors and vacationers would park their cars in a gigantic parking lot and not see their car again until they were leaving Walt Disney World. Uh, monorail would whisk you to Epcot Center 
uh, one of the business parks maybe, or the theme park area. And then you would take the people movers to different shopping districts, uh, the hotels, or the park slash recreation areas that they were going to build. Uh, eventual plans for Walt Disney World, after Walt's passing of course, called for people movers to transport people from the Lake Buena Vista townhomes to the Village Marketplace, the new business center they built, as well as the Ticket and Transportation Center. So sometime in the spring of 1974, Walt Disney Productions set up the Community Transportation Services Company, or CTS for short. And according to the press information released at the time, uh, interest in mass transit systems was increasing with the onset of the gas shortage and problems with traffic in cities. And the inaugural president of the CTS, John Wise, had this to say about CTS. The company will research the feasibility of installing our systems wherever we're invited to, taking into consideration traffic patterns, costs, population, etc we can make recommendations and advise on the installation of our systems as required. It's a whole new field for us, and it's an exciting challenge. So we jump forward to a 1975 magazine designed by CTS to sell their product to uh, municipalities and private businesses. And here's what they had to say about themselves. Long recognized as the innovators, in quotes, in people handling, the Disney organization has been frequently queried by domestic and foreign cities, airports, and shopping centers, and other governmental and private parties interested in applications of the company's monorail and wedway people mover systems. Community, excuse me, community Transportation Services is pleased to offer the talents of the highly experienced Disney transportation team to organizations concerned with the planning and development of public transportation systems. So potentially realizing that the cost of installing a monorail would be too cost prohibitive for most cities, CTS looked at marketing and selling their concept of modular cars, similar to the Wedway People Movers. Drawing on the broad experience obtained in producing four generations of monorail systems, Community Transportation Services has developed a modular car concept which promises to make the Disney systems extremely flexible and economical. They continue saying that making the use of a basic set of parts, which can be configured in a variety of ways, the modular car concept will have favorable impact on manufacturing as well as the operation of systems. The inherent building block characteristics will permit CTS to meet a wide range of capacity requirements from six passenger single, single vehicles to 250 passenger trains. The document continues with more information about the vehicles, uh, and it says, The equipment and interior design of the modular car systems will be offered in many variations to suit individual requirements. Design considerations such as power, control, air conditioning, and basic seating arrangements will be keyed to the different modular concepts. Although emphasis has been placed hereon upon uh, modularizing mo monorail configurations, Community Transportation Services is capable of employing other chassis designs, such as surface guideways, to the same modular body concept. Our staff and facilities also provide uh, total capability in the planning, development, installation, and operation of the entire customized car systems. Of course, Disney released a few more brochures and PR items about community transportation services. But how come we're not all riding people movers everywhere that we go, you know? In addition I, to the hoverboards that we didn't get, it, I 2015 is not over yet. Oh, that's true. It's not. It's not. Okay, say. Well, uh, CTS actually sold one people mover system, and that was to the former Houston Intercontinental Airport in 1981. 
and it was known as, or I guess it's still known, as an interterminal train. It's located one floor below the baggage claim areas within the five terminal facilities at the airport. The system employs two separate tracks to transport passengers between terminals A, B, C, D, and E. The tops of the vehicles have openings, and there are speakers along the track that make announcements and, you know, warning messages. And as promised, the Wedway system ha has had a 99% reliability rate. Sadly, it's disappointing that we haven't seen more Wedway people movers outside of Disney theme parks. Uh, there's not much else written about the CTS, so there's an assumption that the division was folded into WED or dropped when Eisner took over. So, d does anyone out there have any idea what happened? Because we have no idea what happened. We would love to know what happened to the CTS and, you know, all the people working for them. Yeah, we know that it was originally located at Imagineering in Glendale until 1979 and after that was listed as being in Lake Buena Vista in Florida and then we just don't have any more information so and then it disappeared you... into the time stream <laughs> we're not sure which time stream um, if you happen to catch CTS in one of your time streams please let us know uh, give us a call on the Communicore weekly hotline at 424-785-4628 that's 424-785-GOAT and tell us if you've ever gotten the chance to ride the uh, Wedway people that's at the, uh, well, I guess it's not so George Bush Airport in Houston, Texas. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is The Mickey Mouse Reader, edited by Gary Apgar. So this book was released in 2014 and clocks in at 417 pages. So, it's a big book, but it's not quite as large as the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World, which in 2015 had 864 pages. <laughs> Twice the size. Um, also, the last 100 pages or so of the Mickey Mouse Reader uh, is dedicated to notes and a few of the original language articles that Gary Apgar had collected, you know, which, because some of the articles were in French, or German, and he translated them into English, but has a full article in the back for... Do you speak any of those languages? Um, yeah, French and German. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Can you read those yeah. languages? I can read French. Really? Yeah, yeah. The more yeah. you know. <laughs> I had no idea. Ich verstehe nicht. I'm just going to assume you said Jeff is the greatest person ever, and allow me to go with the book review. Carry on. Yeah, okay, we will, we will. So, okay, um... <laughs> There, there are about 70 essays in the book that span Mickey's entire career, basically from 1928 to the present, or actually about 2012. Uh, some of the essays are just a few paragraphs and a few are several pages. Uh, as, as I mentioned, the essays covers, uh, covers all of Mickey's career or his life as it is, so it's a very interesting read. And they're broken down by time period and offer some truly amazing insights into his metamorphosis as well as the Disney company. And here's a breakdown of the chapter so you get a good idea of what's happening. They do the early years from 28 to 31 uh, into the realm of high, eight, uh, high art, excuse me, from 1932 to 33. You are the top, which is a chapter all about me and Jeff, uh, from 34 to 35. <laughs> Yeah, I know I had to put that in there. <laughs> Glory Days in Color, 36 to 39. And then World War II and into the 70s covers 1941 to 1977 because we all know there wasn't a lot of activity from Mickey Mouse during that time period. 
Then you've got the nostalgia begins from 78 to 89 and into a new millennium from 1991 to 2012. So they do have a really great coverage of Mickey's career uh, broken down by the time periods. Um, the articles are reprinted from various magazines like Time, Film Daily, the London Film Society, the New York Times, Look, and Wait, even the- <laughs> Look was like People Magazine uh, of the 60s. Oh, okay. Basically, which is kind of neat. Um, and and, and uh, the magazine, the Harvard Crimson. So, hey, you get a little highbrow there. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the, the uh, more well-known authors, Walt Disney, of course, penned a few articles that they reprinted. Who's that? E- <laughs> Why am I interrupting everything you're saying in this book review? I am so sorry. And you said you were tired, too. I know. I expected more, more, more snores. So, okay, so we've got E.M. Forster, um, Frank Nugent, no relation to Ted, Irving Wallace, Lillian Disney, Maurice Sendak, John Colhane, Anna Quindlin, Stephen J. Gold, who's a noted anthropologist, Charles Solomon, who we've talked about before, and John Updike, who's a, a major author. And this is just a, a partial list of the more than 30 contributors to the book. Uh, personally, I really found the book and the essays fascinating on so many levels. Uh, we're used to seeing Mickey Mouse as he is today, mainly as the good-natured corporate spokesmouse. Uh, you know, he, and everyone knows he wasn't always like that. And, and some of the most amazing articles in the book really take a look at Mickey's first 10 years uh, to see how he was treated and how people proselytized him basically while and to him paints a really different portrait of what we see as Mickey today. It's sort of like our view of Walt Disney today is so different than the Walt of the 1930s, you know, like with the uh, uh, Walt and El Grupo time period when they're on the South American tour. And he was, you know, I think going to see Walt Disney was probably like going to see a One Direction concert you know <laughs> that's uh, the weirdest comparison is it we're ever gonna make yes. is it because it's like walt and el grupo could have been a boys band i mean it sounds like a boys band at this point you know it could have been so that's our disney know, boy it, band name <laughs> walt and el grupo yeah performing <laughs> live this summer at the d23 xo <laughs> we'll have to get some song titles so but I, I know you got a copy of the book too and i know you looked uh you 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 pawed through it i did well. pawed through it um, you know, in, in the intro of the book, Apgar, you know, he really encourages the reader to read the selections however you want, whether at random or in order. Um, but when you read it in order, it, it's in chronological order, and it's really interesting to see uh, the mouse and his changes throughout the years and, and, and the different um, perceptions of Mickey Mouse through the years by different people. But uh, there was one article that was called Mickey Mouse, How He Was Born uh, that was written by Walt um, from a 1931 issue of Windsor Magazine, which was fantastic, and it, w- it was one of my favorites. Um, on the flip side of that, there's also <laughs> uh, a bit from a Nazi publication and it was amazing look at their view of the mouse and how much they hated him and what like an, an, what they used him as a you know a symbol for their hatred of America and it was just really interesting to see the flip side of, of the coin, mm-hmm. um, you know it it was a peek behind the curtain in a lot of different ways and because these articles are pulled from all different time periods there the, some of them were a little repetitive from time to time. Um, because of the background information included. But yeah. overall, I thought it was a really enjoyable and interesting read. Yeah, it, you were right about the, um, it, it felt repetitive because a lot of these early articles from the 30s and the 40s took the same information from the same PR information that the Disney 
Walt Disney Productions was handing out to press agents. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Apgar, one thing I forgot to mention, you sort of hit it a little bit. He does put each article in a historical context as well, which is nice. So you get an idea of this was written at this time period and, you know, I saw it was enjoyable. It was fun. And as you mentioned, you can just flip through and read whatever you want to if you have a specific time period. And, and to me, the first three or four chapters were well worth getting the book and reading just to see how Mickey was seen back in the day. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. To speak, and, and how he was treated by the world. You know, we see him now as a global corporate store. And back then he was a uh, star. Back then uh, he was quite a phenomenon. He was a phenomenon. Nobody had seen anything do, like that. Do, 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 do. Phenomenon. <laughs> phenomenon. Do, do. I'm sorry. This is not the Muppet episode. My We're bad, sorry. Episode, so. <laughs> okay, well, so I, I know we both enjoyed it and recommend it. It is... Uh, Probably for somebody who's a little bit more interested in the history of Mickey Mouse, uh, as seen through the eyes of journalists and critics and things like that, mm-hmm. you will learn a lot. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. But uh, this week's book was The Mickey Mouse Reader, edited by Gary Apgar. Yum, 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 yum. If you want to get to know your food, you gotta have a food report. I recently had something to eat at uh, well, goodness. Adventure. Well, oh, I mean, okay. like I you meant in general. No, no, not in general. I mean, I, I do okay. eat a lot. I know people are concerned because I am very skinny, but I do yeah. eat a lot, so okay, don't worry. Um, but I recently had one of the new uh, coned food items at the Cozy Cone Motel in Carsland, and I thought it, it was probably worthwhile talking about what the different cones have there, what you can hmm. order from them. So at the Cozy Cone Motel, there are five different cones that you can order food from. Uh, the first one, you can order churro bites, and they have something called Ramon's Pear of, of Dice Soda, but pear is spelled P-E-A-R, which I've actually had before, and I don't really like pears, but I did enjoy the soda. Go I figure. I love pears, so... Really? Mm. You might like the soda, then. I'll buy you one I next time. Try. Okay, okay. We can do it. Cone number two has ice cream, and also has a root beer float. Root, R-O-U-T-E. Come on, guys. They're getting really ah. clever with car puns here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm going to skip over cone three. I'm going to save that for last. I'm going to okay, go to cone okay. four, uh, which has pretzel bites and chocolate twists and garlic bagel twists. And their mm. specialty drink is the Red's Apple Freeze, which is okay, I guess. It's a little too sweet for, for my liking. <laughs> uh, cone number five is the one with the flavored popcorn, and uh, everyone loves the pickled flavored popcorn. Because isn't um, that what you, you you serve to Luigi's Flying Tigers? Yes, the, the pickled-flavored popcorn. Okay. Callback joke. Um, you know it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. And then they have the Doc's Wild Grape Tonic as their, as their uh, specialty drink, which I have not had. But <laughs> mainly I'm concerned about cone number three, the one in the middle, that has the real food of the Cozy Cone Motel. Uh, their specialty drink is the Fillmore's Fueling uh, Groovy Age, which is just like lemonade and, and limeade. It's nothing really important. <laughs> but okay, so we got that out of the way. That's out of the way. Okay. Right now, they offer three different cones at the third cone. The first one is the Chili Cone Queso, which mm. has like beef chili and uh, cheddar cheese and corn chips and there's a, <sighs> in a bread cone. And there's also a vegetarian option available. And what, is that, what does the vegetarian option come with? Just... It comes Nothing? with a non-beef chili. Oh, that It comes with sense. vegetarian okay. chili. That's the only thing okay, that's Okay, that makes sense. Though. Okay. Uh, wow. Then there's a chicken verde uh, cone, which is smoked chicken and has sauce in it, and it has uh, queso, and it's also in a bread cone. Mm. But nowadays, it's a specialty. I don't know how much longer it's going to be there, but they have a macaroni and cheese and bacon cone. Oh. And 
let me tell you folks, if you want a little slice of heaven, nothing says that like a macaroni and cheese and bacon cone and a bread cone. I can imagine. So the real question I know with all the cadets is, will you be in the park and can the cadets buy you a bacon mac and cheese cone and enjoy it with you? Um, I mean, if you're going to twist my arm, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. I ate that thing like nobody's business. I, I ate the entire cone. There was nothing left. Um, it was delicious. I really liked it. And, and did Alex get any of his cone or did you take his too? No, he, he had his and he had actually... He had more of his than I, and I thought. He actually ate everything inside and he ate most of the cone, which he doesn't usually do. The wow. cone, is, it literally is a bread cone, but it looks like a traffic cone. Um, yeah. But it's delicious. And I would eat that every day, every meal of my life, uh, <laughs> if that was a- acceptable. Oh, I'm so looking forward to my next visit. So you can have, I hope they still have it when you get here. Well, I just thought you were going to stock up on him and that's all we'd eat for a week. Oh, well, I can, I can do that. Oh, okay. Do they okay. sell them in the stores? <laughs> I'm going to go to Target right after this episode's over and see if I can purchase a ma- uh, macaroni and cheese bacon bread cone thing. Yeah, a- ask him at customer service. Okay, I can do that. Uh, I'm going to go right now. Okay, bye. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. <laughs> okay, guys, I have to be honest with you. I'm not entirely sure of this five-legged goat is intentional or not, but it's kind of hilarious and I just noticed it the other day. So near the end of It's a Small World at Disneyland, where all the goodbye postcards are featured, there are a few oversized uh, postage stamps that are filled with smiling faces. And one of them has a boat and all these smiley, just the faces themselves are there. If you look closely, one of them has everyone's favorite blockhead, Charlie Brown, hidden Ah. among all the other smiling faces. So, it may just be random, crazy happenstance, but the swiggle of his hair and, you know, the furrowed lip that he has there, it just seems like too big of a coincidence to ignore. (laughs) So maybe it's a nod to their neighbor Knott's Berry Farm up the street, which does feature Peanuts characters, I'm not entirely sure, but good grief, it is hilarious. (laughs) That is a really cool well, I have to say, like, a, a second cousin five-legged goat? I'm going to say, like yeah, second cousin five-legged goat. That that qualifies, I think. Yeah, we can do that. It's close enough anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Something to look at, so. Heck yes. So, before we close out this episode, we just wanted to announce this week's winner for the year of a million or so limited time cadets, and that is Richard H. from Chesterfield, Missouri. Hooray! Oh, Thank you, George. I was waiting for you to do that. And you're going to get a copy of The Secret Tour of Disneyland DVD, which we actually reviewed way, way back in Season 1, Episode 51, and it's awesome. Um, and for those of you who don't, who have not seen it yet, it's actually about to go out of print. Uh, John Delmont, who produced it and directed it, he tells us there's only about 150 copies left, and that was as of about a week ago, so there's probably mm-hmm. way less now. So grab one from Amazon while you still can, because it's a really great DVD, and if you don't believe us, go listen to our review back in episode 51. Yeah, and I know, I know Richard's really going to enjoy it as well. It's a great DVD, it's a lot of fun, and... They produced it back at a time when nobody was really doing a lot of the YouTube videos. Yes. That people are doing today. You know, not like some random vlog or anything like that. I have no idea what you're talking about, livefastipor.com. No. <laughs> what? That's one nickel. 
Ding. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Please leave us a comment. Give us a rating on iTunes or comment on, on the YouTube version. Wherever you're listening to the show, let us know what you think about it. And feel free to email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com. And don't forget to send us your name, your address, and your birthday so you can be part of our special celebration this year. Yes, please. You guys are never late. You can send them in whenever if you yes. have it. You can send it in in October. We're still going to run this promotion until next January anyway. So just send it exactly. in if you haven't yet. Yep. Um, also, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicoreweekly. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginarding. He's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, leave us a message on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. And don't forget to visit CommunicoreWeekly.com and visit the Communi Store where you can get t-shirts and a copy of Communicore Weekly The Musical. Heck yes. Yes. And of course, send us a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly P.O. Box 432 Orange, California 92856 and I will gladly send you your official cadet membership card and some Communicore Weekly stickers. And they're numbered so the sooner you get your letter in there, the lower your number. Which is, it's golf, right? It's Communicore Weekly golf? Uh, Yes. Yeah, okay, we'll go with that. Yeah, sure. uh, (laughs) Don't forget to support us on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash Communicore Weekly and uh Support us however you'd like each and every month. We promise to keep the show free, but we've got a lot of special surprises in store for you. So for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show.